After selling over 15 million copies over 30 years, author and psychologist Dr. Gary Chapman has created a platform for discussing love as a choice and the multiple forms of communication and action it takes. Author of the five love languages, Dr. Chapman discusses his research, his inspiration, and examples of love languages, and notably how these love languages reflect every type of relationship in life. For more information on more of his series, or taking a quiz to discover your own love language, visit his website at fivelovelanguages.com. So I want to talk to you about your work with uh, the Five Love Languages, which was a book that you re uh, that you released over 30 years ago, but now have subsequently released um, updates and like different spin-offs of that series. And so I was curious, how did you first begin your research uh, with forming the Five Love Languages? You know, it grew out of my counseling. Uh, I never forget the first time I encountered this reality that what makes one person feel loved doesn't make another person feel loved. A couple came into my office. I didn't know them, never seen them, and found out later they'd been married to each other for 30 years. And the wife said, uh, Dr. Chapman, the real problem in our marriage is I just don't feel any love coming from him. And she said, I'm so empty. It's like we're roommates. We live in the same house, but there's nothing going on between us. And I just feel empty. I looked at him and he said, I don't understand her. I do everything I can to show her that I love her. And she sits there and says she doesn't feel loved. He said, I don't know what else to do. And I said, well, what do you do to show your love to her? He said, well, uh, I get home from work before she does. So I start the evening meal. And sometimes I have it ready when she gets home. If not, she'll help me. And then we eat. And after we eat, he said, I wash the dishes. And every Thursday night, I vacuum the floor. And every Saturday, I wash the car and mow the grass. And I help her with the laundry. And he went on. And I was beginning to wonder, what does this woman do? <laughs> it sounded to me like he was doing everything. And uh, I look back at her. And she said, you know, Dr. Chapman, he's right. He's a hardworking man but we don't ever talk. We haven't talked in 20 years. He's always mowing the grass, washing the dishes, <laughs> always doing something. And I knew here was a sincere husband who was doing everything he knew to show his wife that he loved her and a wife who didn't get it. And after that, I had numerous couples in my office that shared a similar story. And I knew there had to be a pattern to what I was hearing. So eventually I took time to sit down and read several years of notes that I made when I was counseling people and asked myself, when someone said, I feel like my spouse doesn't love me, what did they want? What were they complaining about? And their answers fell into five categories. <laughs> and I later called them the five love languages. And I started using that concept in my marriage, in my counseling that if you want him to feel love, you've got to express love in his language. If you want her to feel love, you've got to speak her language. And I'd help couples discover their language, challenge them to go home and do it. Sometimes they'd come back, Nancy, in three weeks and say, Gary, this is changing everything. I mean, the whole climate's different now. And then I started using it in small groups. And the same thing happened. And probably five years later, I thought, you know, if I could put this concept in a book, write it in the language of the common person, leave out the psychological jargon, maybe I could help a lot of couples I would never have time to see in my office. Little did I know that it would sell over 15 million copies now in English and be translated in over 50 languages around the world. 
So that's the story of where the love languages came from. Wow, that's quite the legacy. Yeah, that's wow. The impact of that too. Like when you, so you said the five main, so just for our listeners, it's words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, and physical touch. Um, so with these five love languages, um, did you find that at first there were some like overlaps or some other cons- uh, considerations that you're thinking of adding to this list or? You know, these were the, yeah, these were the five, five I discovered. I, I was not dogmatic to say these are the only five. But uh, these are the one I discovered. Now, since then, I've had people say to me, uh, uh, you know, Dr. Chapman, one guy said, uh, there's a sixth love language. I said, what is it? He said, uh, chocolate. <laughs> I said, well, if they bought it, it's a gift. If they made it, it's an act of service, okay? Right. <laughs> and one guy said that the sixth love language was going shopping with his wife. I said, well, that sounds to me like a dialect of quality time. She wants you to do something with her, give her your attention while she's doing something she enjoys doing. So I'm still not saying that there, there are only five, but uh, these are the five that through the years, I've never heard a number six that I felt <laughs> would qualify for a six love language. Yeah. Now, what is it about like categorizing ideas that do you think helps people? Because I, I almost feel like they see this and they think they immediately want to see how they fit into it. How, how does this help? Yeah, well, I I do think that uh, often when we can get a picture of uh, whatever, well, love, for example, that that I want to love my spouse, I do love my spouse, but I want to communicate it in a way that they will feel it. Because most of us agree that our deepest emotional need as humans is the need to feel loved by the significant people in our lives. And if we do feel loved, then, then we can process all the rest of life. But if we don't feel loved, then there's a lot of internal struggles and a lot of misbehavior grows out of of those internal struggles. So uh, I think understanding that there are different ways and here are at least five common ways that people do express love. And very likely one of these five is gonna mean more to my spouse than the other four. So I wanna discover what that is. I call it the primary love language. And I want to learn to communicate love in their language so that they really know and feel that I love them. That, that I think, is, uh, is what makes this so helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And they always say that, like, the, like, it's so important to have, like, communication and almost having these languages. It shows that communicating with a partner is just more than just talking about it. There's, like, it goes through your actions and everything. Yeah, that's right. I, I think, you know, we can say I love you. And that's a very common phrase, and it's certainly nothing wrong with saying I love you. Uh, that is a word of affirmation, to be sure. But this simply the words I love you do not necessarily communicate love emotionally to everyone. They will to some people, because if words of affirmation is their language, that really communicates to them. But acts of service people, if you don't ever lift a hand to help them or ask, how can I help you? Uh, then they're thinking, you know, if you love me, you, you would be doing something to help me. Or a gift person would say, in their mind, they're saying, how could you love me and not even get me a gift on my birthday? I mean, I don't understand that. I don't see how that's possible. If you love me, I, you would certainly be thoughtful enough to get me a birthday gift or a Valentine's gift, you know. <laughs> so uh, I think we have to communicate and understand the other person's language, then we have to choose to do it. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed uh, some com- or more common than other lang- love languages? You know what I mean? Is one more common than another? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, no, the, these pretty well, uh, 18 to 22% uh, up and down. Uh, and, and neither are they gender specific. A man can have any one of the five, a woman can have any one of the five as a primary love language, but they're pretty evenly scattered uh, throughout the culture. Uh, one of them is not, uh, you know, super uh, high, high and the other super low. Uh, pretty, pretty well evenly divided among individuals. And have you noticed like if, if uh, sometimes like relationships, like with two partners, like would you say that they usually have, like are they attracted to this person with the same love language or is it usually the case where they find someone who's completely different in that respect? Yeah, I, I think seldom does a husband and wife have the same love language. Mm -hmm. It does happen, but it's not very common. And even if they have the same language, they will likely have a different dialect within that language. Uh, for example, a lady said to me recently, she said, uh, uh, Dr. Chapman, my, my husband and I have the same love language. I said, wonderful, what is it? She said, acts of service. But she said, the things that I want him to do for me that make me feel loved are different from the things he wants me to do for him to make him feel loved. So it's the same language, it's just different dialects. And each of the languages have different di dialects, I'm calling them dialects, different mm -hmm. ways of expressing that particular language. So it's not uh, it, it, it's not common for a husband and wife to have the same language, but it does happen. So to discuss a bit of the uh, the quiz on your website actually about discovering a love language, um, how did you go about deciding on the format? Because it's framed as if like selecting two choices and which would be more meaningful to the person. Yeah, what we're trying to do there is to give an even match, even number of the five, but you choose between two. Uh, and you say, you know, if I, for example, uh, if my wife gave me a, a gift, I would feel loved. If my wife took a walk with me uh, in the evening, it would make me feel loved. If you could only have one of those, which one would you choose? And so you choose, you make 30 choices. So you have an equal opportunity uh, on, on each of the five. And one of them will stand out. And when you get the, when you get the report, you'll see one was primary. And then the others, you know, are less than that. Sometimes the primary and secondary are rather close, which means either one of those would be really meaningful to you. Mm -hmm. uh, but that quiz, it's a free quiz, as you know, uh, at fivelovelanguages.com, the number five, fivelovelanguages.com. Mm -hmm. And uh, my publisher who operates that website said that just, I think a month ago, they told me 50 million people have taken that quiz. Uh, and then there's another quiz for single adults and another one for teenagers. And then one that's a thing that you do with your children to discover their love language. So, yeah, uh, that's a helpful tool. Uh, reading the book, of course, is going to give you illustrations and real life you know, people uh, mm -hmm. you can identify with and say, yeah, that's me right there. <laughs> but the quiz <laughs> is very helpful. Yeah, definitely. How would you, uh, what are some suggestions that you would have for people about to take the test or about to take the quiz and like, and kind of like some like a mindset maybe to have going into it. Well, I think, uh, you know, people do it two ways. There are people who read the book first and then take the quiz. And I think really it's going to be more meaningful. You're going to really be into it more if you if you follow that route. There are others who take the quiz and uh, and then read the book later, because if you take the quiz, you will want some help on. Well, OK, this is their language now. How am I going to do that? You know, and the book gives lots of ideas on each of these languages. So then it doesn't matter where a person starts. But what we want to do is to grow in our ability to effectively communicate love to each other. That's the whole point. Uh, 
is helping us do what we really want to do. We want to meet each other's need for love. We want each other to feel love. And this helps us do it in an effective manner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I believe I read on your website or it was through a press release that like many people take this test, but it's about taking the next step to talk about their partner about this and like taking it to action. Would you suggest partners take the test together to have a, a more open dialogue about it? I think so. Yeah, I think it's ideal. I mean, you have to take it individually, but you know, he takes it, you take it, and then you share with each other the results. And if couples are reading the book, again, ideally, a couple would read it together. I don't mean you're reading at the same time, but he reads a chapter, she reads a chapter, and you say, what did you learn out of that chapter? You know, And then you'd work, you'll work your way through a book like that. As a matter of fact, I think many, many couples would find marriage, find a growing marriage if they just read one book a year together. <laughs> not, not, not only the love language book, but just a book a year on marriage. Chat, read the chapter every week, separately come together and say, what did you learn from that chapter? What can we learn from that chapter? You know, it's, it's just like kind of having an out, outside counselor without having to pay for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so you mentioned that um, there are tests also for uh, the single people as well as teens and children. Uh, what made you decide to develop these um, and even like subsequent books after the five, uh, five love languages? Well, the, uh, in the original book uh, for couples, I had, did have one chapter on how this works with children. And uh, couples would say to me after a while, you know, Gary, you gave us a little help on children, but give us more help. We need more help. So I teamed up with Dr. Ross Campbell, who was a, a, a psychiatrist who had spent 30 years working with children. He's now deceased. But, and we, we wrote the five love languages of children on how to effectively love children. It's the same five love languages, but applying it to children. And I say to the parents, the question is not, do you love your children? The question is, do your children feel love? Yeah, by nature, we love our children, mm -hmm. but not all children feel love because we don't speak their language. And uh, so that's how that came. And then later they said, you know, Dr. Chapman, the, the children's book was really helpful, but now they're teenagers. It doesn't seem to be working. <laughs> Can you help us more? <laughs> so I worked the five love language of teenagers. And through all of this, I had single adults who would say, Gary, I know you wrote your original book for couples, mm -hmm. but I'm single and I've read it and it's helping me in all of my relationships, but why don't you write one especially for us and how it applies you know, to our parents, to our siblings, to our college roommates, to our work associates, to our dating partners. And so that's how it came, just one by one. I never set out to write a whole series, uh, but as people inquired, uh, you know, that, that's what we did. <laughs> yeah. So with this, the, um with the series, um, how, how did you go about your research and finding, um, finding topics that you want especially um, to reflect on? Well, you know, in the last several years, we have really focused on specific areas. Mm -hmm. And I chose the author, a co-author on these because they had more experience than I did. Uh, for example, there's one on how this works in a blended family because the dynamics are different in a blended family. You can know your stepson's or stepdaughter's love language, and you can come in as a stepmother or stepfather, and you try to speak that language, and they may push you away. Mm -hmm. See, there's some dynamics there, because they're, they're bonded to somebody else. 
<laughs> either you know either the, 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 their parents still living or maybe they're deceased but and here you are and you're new and they don't know you yet and they're not sure that they won't let you into their lives so we deal with that in that book on how the love languages works in a blended family and then we have one on how it works when, with a special needs child both for the child and also uh, with for the parents the marital relationship and i wrote that with a lady who uh, had a special needs child and who has worked in that area for 20 or 25 years. And then uh, more recently, we released a book on how this works when you lose a baby, you know, the grief of losing a child. And, uh, and I wrote that uh, with uh, Candy McVicker, who lost two children, and who is now, after that, has worked for 15 years or so, and has a ministry helping other people who've lost a baby, you know, how to cope with this and how the love languages can be helpful in this. So, so that's uh, the specialty books really uh, I did with someone who had a passion for that and who had read the love language, knew the concept and had discovered how it works in those situations. Uh, another one that we released with a medical doctor uh, is called uh, Keeping love alive as memories fade, the five love languages and the Alzheimer's journey. Mm -hmm. And I wrote this with a medical doctor whose wife had the disease and mm -hmm. he worked with her through all of this and, and later uh, set up a memory counseling clinic at the local hospital. So, you know, this whole, this whole thing of love, it is at the heart of who we are as humans. And so how to effectively love in these various uh, family situations uh, can really help you make the most of what you're going through, whatever it is. Yeah. And I love how you, you mentioned that, um, how love is a choice. Because I feel as though a lot of people think it's just like an instinct or it just comes naturally. But really, it, it is a deliberate actions that you have to carry out. Yes, I think, you know, the, what we typically call falling in love is an emotion. Uh, you know, you just see somebody, there's something about the way they look and the way they talk and the way they emote that triggers something inside of you emotionally and you, you're drawn to them. And the more time you spend with them, the more you want to be with them. Uh, that's what we call falling in love. And it doesn't take a lot of effort. I mean, you don't even get up one morning and say, I think I'll go fall in love with somebody. I mean, <laughs> you just meet them in the flow of life or sometimes now online and you get these euphoric feelings for each other. Uh, that's one kind of love, but that's temporary. Nobody told me that. They told me when I was little, if you get the real thing, if you're really in love, it's going to last forever. Well, we've studied it now. The average lifespan of the obsessive stage is two years. Some a little longer, some a little less, average two years, and we come down off the high. I wish I had known that. Nobody told me that. And when I, when I came down off the high, it was pretty soon after we got married because we'd been dating for two and a half years before we got married. <laughs> and so uh, then we have to go to the second stage of love. Mm -hmm. And that's where love is a choice. We choose our attitude and we choose our behavior. We choose to think in terms of, I want to enrich your life. I want to help you accomplish things that you want to accomplish. I want to make your life easier. Mm -hmm. It's focusing on the other person and their well-being. Mm -hmm. That's the attitude. And then you find appropriate ways to do that. And that's where the love language can be a real help in how to effectively communicate that. And it, it, it stimulates emotions. 
-hmm. It just doesn't start with an emotion. See, I've had people say to me, well, I don't, I just don't have love feelings for her anymore and or him anymore. And, and, and I've met somebody else and, you know, I'm, I'm really in love with them now. Well, what they don't understand is if they go that route, they'll come down off that high in two years. That's why the divorce rate is higher in second marriages than it is in first marriages. The answer is not running. Mm -hmm. The answer is learning to love, choosing to love and learning how to do it. And when you do, you stimulate those love feelings, you know, in them. And, and, they, you, and when they speak your language, it stimulates feelings in you. So it meets that deep emotional need that we have to feel love. So, uh, yeah, we, we have to transition from the first stage of romantic love to the second stage, which is much more intentional and much more depends on our choosing to communicate love in a way that's meaningful to the other person. Mm -hmm. Are there tips? that you would have to start this um, process sooner, I guess. Of course, like the romantic love is very important and like powerful, but like to have these conversations, like would you suggest that early on in any relationship? I think so. I think even in friendships, it doesn't have to be romantic love, even in friendships. If uh, two people have a friendship, uh, you know, often friendships last for long periods of time and other times they break up. And often they break up because we, we don't understand really what makes the other person feel appreciated, you know, or loved. It's the same emotional need that, that I'm valued. They value me and they're committed to my well-being. And so this helps in uh, just, just friendships uh, as well as in dating relationships. And I think in a dating relationship, the sooner we understand this concept and share it with each other and learn each other's love language and start speaking each other's love language, when you come down off the high, you still feel loved. And you can make a much wiser decision about do we move to marriage or do we not move to marriage? But uh, uh, many times couples will break up, dating couples will break up after the two year uh, time and they come down off the high or one of them comes down off the high and they're saying to themselves, well, I just don't have those feelings anymore. So I really think we ought to go our own way. And the other one is devastated because they're still, they still have those feelings. But if we were speaking each other's love language, we would still have feelings. It just wouldn't be the super, super high, but we would still feel loved by each other. And then we could make a really intelligent decision about marriage or not marriage. Mm -hmm. Do you think like hypothetically it works for everyone that it's just like, if you do speak the other person's love language, it will like work out more than not? Like, does that make sense? <laughs> well, I think, you know, uh, Many, many, many times people get married when they're in that in love stage mm -hmm. and uh, they don't know they're going to come down off the high. And that was my situation. And when I did come down off the high, I mean, I was devastated mm -hmm. because our differences emerged. We ended up arguing over things and saying hateful things and, you know, raising our voice at each other. And after a while, all the positive feelings were gone and I had negative feelings. Mm -hmm. And I was saying to myself, I, I, this is not going to work. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we're too different. It's just not working out. And I, I was devastated with it. Uh, I'm just grateful that we stayed together long enough to find some answers, you know, to this. Uh, but many couples uh, don't, don't find the answers and they just eventually split because they feel like, well, we're just too different. All we do is argue, you know, we can't go on like this. Uh, what they don't realize is that every couple is going to have conflicts because of one reason we're human. 
humans don't think the same way. Humans don't have the same thoughts. Humans don't have the same history. They don't have the same personality. We're going to have conflicts. Mm -hmm. We can solve conflicts much easier if we're speaking each other's love language and we feel loved by the other person. Far more likely to be empathetic, to listen to each other, try to understand each other, and consequently look for a solution rather than trying to win an argument. You know, if you win the argument, they lost. It's no fun to live with a loser. So why would you create one? No, no, we don't need to be losers. We need to look for solutions. And we can do that much easier if we both feel loved by the other. So you mentioned how a lot of people are now dating online or finding um, other alternate ways, especially during the coronavirus. How would you suggest, um, I guess, just even people living in maybe like closer quarters like and like all working from home how would you say love languages has transitioned during the coronavirus well i do think uh, two things one for those who are who are married and living in the same house you know the whole playing field has changed now because we're both at home and maybe we have kids and they're at home <laughs> and it you know the whole world is different and we have to rediscover how to work as a team and how to work everything out you know with the home but again if they know each other's love language and if they're speaking each other's love language, they'll make the most of the time that they're at home and then they're changing, making these changes. In terms of work relationships, because all of us need to feel appreciated at work. You know, I wrote another book with Dr. Paul White. It's called The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace. And we're simply taking the love languages to work. We're just using the word appreciation, but it's the same emotional need. It's that need that I'm valued as a person not a cog in a machine. They could really care about my well-being. And so uh, I think, uh, you know, when we're working at home for, with different work associates where we used to have a chance to sit down at the desk and have a five-minute conversation with them or have lunch together, uh, if quality time was our language, and now we can't do that. But we can still, you know, offline, we can still, I mean, off, off of work hours, we can still have some time together, you know, talking on the phone or talking online. Uh, so all of these languages can be spoken long distance. In fact, uh, I wrote another book uh, for military couples, the Five Love Languages Military Edition. And what, one of the things we do in there is talk about how do you speak these languages when you're half a world away, you know, when you're deployed. Mm -hmm. and, and the fact is you can speak all of them when you're separated. And that, that, those concepts will be helpful in what we're in now when you, you're separated from your work associates. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I think uh, we have to learn how to communicate love and, and, and uh, appreciation to people that we care about, uh, even during the pandemic. It's a little harder. Uh, it's, uh, you have to work at it a little harder, but there's always ways to do it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so for people, um, I'm not sure if I asked this already, but like for people beginning their process and learning about the five love languages, what's some uh, insight or suggestions that you would have for them? Like even especially for maybe college students because um, yeah, uh, for college students or young adults. Yeah, I think for young singles, uh, the singles edition <laughs> is very, very helpful because let's face it, single adults, many of them have a fractured relationship with their parents. That's one place to start. They, in the teenage years, they got ostracized. They didn't feel loved by their parents. They felt the parents were controlling them or whatever, whatever, you know. And, and then they went off to college or maybe they're still in college or maybe they're, you know, young adults now working. 
but the relationship with their parents is fractured. If they understand this concept and look back on their childhood and their teenage years, they will understand why that relationship is fractured. And they will likely also realize that their parents did love them, even though they may not have been speaking their language. And often this is a step to open up a conversation with those parents and rebuild a positive relationship. And then in their relationships with their college roommates or friends at college, uh, th this is going to be helpful in how to communicate, uh, you know, uh, that you care about them, e even in a friendship, not necessarily a dating relationship, just a friendship. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then young adults who are working is, is applying this in their work relationships. It changes the environment of the, uh, of the workplace. Uh, you know, what we discovered is that 70% of the people in this country who have a job say they feel little to no appreciation coming from the people with whom and for whom they work. I mean, that's tragic. You know, you go in every day and you don't feel appreciated. And 64% of the people who leave a job and go to another job say they left primarily because they didn't feel appreciated where they were. Mm -hmm. This has huge implications for work relationships. Definitely. So, yeah, I think uh, single adults who uh, have read the book or, uh, you know, who want to read the book or encourage others to read the book. In fact, many book clubs among uh, young singles are using this uh, book, the Singles Edition, uh, to help them talk with each other about this and then apply it in all of their relationships. Hey, this is Nancy. Thanks for listening in today at 91.3 FM WTSR. Remember to check out more content online at WTSR.org, on the air, or on our Spotify and Captivate channels. And as always, we remind you to open your mind.